Hey, well, good morning, church. Hey, uh, if you are a guest, I want to give you a warm welcome. So glad you're here. Those of you watching online, uh, glad you're tuned in and you're with us as well. Um, um, this is going to be a great day at Edinburgh. We got some baptisms coming, so <laughs> it's always exciting uh, when we see those who are making it public, their commitment to follow Jesus. So thank you all for, for being here today. Um, this was probably two, three years ago. I think my daughter Callie was maybe, I don't know, roughly three years old, somewhere in three, four. And uh, it was her birthday. She had opened up all of her gifts. There were probably three, four gifts just from our family that she opened up, and it was all exciting. But, you know, Callie was at that age where it's almost more fun, like, opening the gift and playing with the wrapping paper, <laughs> playing with the box. And we just kind of saw, like, when, the, when, when it came and she had no more gifts to open up, she just kind of, she just seemed a little disappointed. And uh, so uh, she's kind of like, you know, any more gifts, Mommy? Any, any more gifts? And we're like, no, no more gifts. Well, Danielle took off. She disappeared probably for about five minutes. And all of a sudden, she comes up from our basement, and she's got this new wrapped gift that she gives to Callie. And Callie opens it up, and it's this stuffed animal that she just loved, and it became this, like, really exciting moment. But I was a little upset because I'm like, man, she already got, like, three, four gifts here. This is Dad watching the budget, right? And I'm like, how much did you spend on this other gift? I didn't know we were buying another gift, right? And so now I'm questioning Danielle about buying this gift when she says, don't worry about it. She says, actually, Callie got this gift last year for her birthday, <laughs> played with it for a week, completely forgot about it down in the basement. I just rewrapped it and gave it to her. <laughs> the point is, don't forget what you already have. Don't forget what you already have. We are in a series right now called The Scarlet Thread, and I said last week that when we read the Bible, we need to understand that from Genesis all the way to Revelation, it is all about Jesus. It is primarily about the forgiveness of sin that we have through the sacrificial act of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Someone has said, if you cut the Bible in any place, it's going to bleed. That's because there's this scarlet thread all the way from Genesis that runs through the Bible, pointing us to Jesus. So in this series, we're just looking at a few of these things, a few of these threads, um, just in the book of Genesis. Last week, we, we talked a little bit about the fall, and uh, what we're going to talk about this morning happens right after uh, Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit. And so I just want to read this from Genesis 3. Uh, they've just eaten uh, the, the forbidden fruit. Um, verse 7 of Genesis 3 says, The eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. I don't know if any of you ever had that dream 
Um, I used to have this dream primarily when I was younger, okay? I don't think I've had it <laughs> as an adult, but it's a pretty common dream. It's this dream where you're like in a public place. Oftentimes it's in school. You're like sitting in class and you realize you're not wearing any clothes. Anybody ever have that dream? Am, am I the only one? I see a couple hands. Well, apparently, apparently this is a common dream that people have. And I think psychologists would tell us it's usually because you're insecure about something is what that dream is supposed to be telling you. I used to have this dream quite a bit as, as a kid. And if you've ever had that dream, you know that when you're in the midst of it, there's one thing that you want to do when it dawns on you, that you're sitting in the middle of class, wherever you're at, and you're not wearing any clothes. You want to hide Okay, you want, to, you want to hide yourself from everyone else. And that's exactly what's going on here with Adam and Eve. They're now wanting to hide. They're wanting to hide from God. Okay, they've become aware of their nakedness. They're feeling ashamed for what they've done. And now they want to hide themselves away from, from God. And I find that this is oftentimes what many Christians, many people even in the church, this is kind of how their relationship with God works. They mess up or they do something wrong or they have a bad day. They feel like a failure in some area of life. And next thing you know, they're hiding. They want to hide themselves from God. I'm convinced it's why so few of us pray as much as we could pray. Knowing that the, the throne room of God is available to us. We don't pray and we don't ask because I think we're, we're walking on eggshells around God. It, it's, it's that Santa Claus theology that so many of us have. Remember the, the, the song, you better, you better watch out. You, you better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why Santa Claus. I mean, it's, he's coming with vengeance. <laughs> How many of you prayed this prayer when your kids, like your mom would sit down with you maybe, or maybe you do this with your kids, and it's, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That makes you want to fall asleep. <laughs> like, night, night, see you tomorrow. <laughs> We hope. I mean, this, 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 this way we walk with the Lord, it's like we're on eggshells. Like we're constantly trying to make sure we're good. We're trying to make sure we're secure. Fig leaves. That's what Adam and Eve do. They put on fig leaves to try to cover this up and to try to get themselves right with God. And while we might chuckle at this idea of fig leaves... It's the same thing that many Christians are doing today. They're trying to put on things to get themselves right with God, to give themselves a little confidence around God, to give themselves a little security, right? And one of the primary ways we do this is through religion. That's the scary part. We actually use religion as our fig leaf. I'm convinced that the reason so many of us find ourselves exhausted and find ourselves striving and find ourselves never feeling good enough it's because we're playing this religious game of trying to earn God's favor and acceptance in our life. I remember talking to a guy many years ago, and he said, it doesn't matter what I do my entire life. It doesn't matter how hard I tried. I could never win the approval of my father. And friends, that's not good parenting. I hope we know that. But here's the problem. Many of us have projected that onto God. We think God is like that father, and we're constantly trying to do enough, tr constantly trying to prove ourselves to God so we can have a little more confidence and security in our relationship with him. We do this through legalism, you know, trying to be, uh, put rules that don't even exist in the Bible so that maybe God will see how righteous we are 
Maybe I can walk in that security when he sees how hard I'm trying. I'm convinced that one of the reasons we become judgmental as Christians is something to ask yourself. When you find yourself talking about that person or find yourself pointing your finger at that people group, I'm convinced that comes from a place of insecurity. And we do that because we're not secure in our own faith, in our own skin. And so what we end up doing is, hey, God, I want you to see how righteous I am. I want you to see how holy I am. Look, I disagree with them. And it's a fig leaf. It's a way for us to build ourselves up and give ourselves a little more, see, God, I am good. I'm good enough. Something to maybe ask yourself this week when you find yourself being tempted to do that. But I want us to see verse 21. That's what we're going to talk about today. This is the thread we're going to focus on today. In verse 21, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Okay? So a few observations I I want us to see of this text. And here's my hope today. I want every one of us walking out of this place today with 110% confidence before the Lord. I want you walking out assured of your situation and your place in God's economy. I want you knowing where you stand. I want you living your life with freedom because you know where you stand with God. And that's my hope for us today. Whether you are churched and been coming to church your entire life, I want you walking out with more confidence. If you're not churched, maybe you've never heard about this Jesus, maybe today's the day you walk out knowing where you stand with Jesus. And I'm telling you, we find the answer in Genesis 3.21, the Lord making these garments for Adam and Eve. The three observations that come from this text, the first is provision. I want us to see this is something, this confidence that I'm talking about, it's something God has to provide for us. It's not something you can provide for yourself. Let's read it again. It says, the Lord God made garments. So the Lord is the one who does this of skin for Adam and Eve and his wife, and he clothed them. It's God who makes the garments. One of the first things that we have to understand as Christians, we can't produce what we need to walk in this confidence that I'm talking about this morning. You need it to be provided for you. And the good news is God has provided everything you need to walk in complete confidence before him. Matthew 22, 1 through 3, Jesus tells this, this parable or in, in, starting in verses 1 through 3, let me read this. It says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to, to tell them to come, but they refused to come. So the guests that get invited refuse to come. Think, think here the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day who rejected Jesus. Jesus has invited them in to the kingdom, they refused to receive him as their king and to come to him. So verse 8, we read, Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So, so he's going to have a change of plan. Look at this. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets, and I love this, they gathered all the people they could find, What does this say right here? The bad as well as the good. I love this. Not just the good. The bad. Jesus goes out of his way to make sure. Who gets invited to this banquet? Not just the good. It's the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was then filled with guests. 
So now everyone's been invited. We read on in verse 11, but when the king came in to see the guest, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Now, we need some cultural context to understand what's going on here. Back in the day, the average person owned one, maybe two pair of clothes. They certainly don't own wedding clothes. So what a king would do, who was throwing a feast like this, a banquet like this, what he would do is provide the clothes that you needed so that you could come in and have the proper attire. Somebody comes, but they don't wear the wedding clothes that have been provided. They come wearing their own clothes. And look at what the king says, verse 13. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This man was not kicked out from the wedding hall because he was bad. He was kicked out because he did not wear the clothes that were provided by the king. Friends, we need to understand that this is a big deal. Whether you're good or bad, what matters is have you received the garments that were provided for you? The second observation I want us to see in this text is that there had to be a sacrifice. Again, we read the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. So this means there had to be an animal sacrifice of some kind. An animal had to be killed um, so that these skins could be made that would cover Adam and Eve. And this is the first sacrifice that we see in the Bible. This is eventually going to become a part of the, right, uh, Israel's religious system where they would sacrifice an animal. And they would do that, okay, for a few reasons. One, it was to appease God's wrath. God would put the sin, right, for a time. He would count it towards that animal, and so this would appease God's wrath. But because now his wrath was appeased, now God could show favor to Israel. Their prayers could be heard, and their prayers could be answered. So you can imagine this animal sacrifice. This was an important system for Israel to do, to keep God's favor. But the problem is, it, it, these are just animals. And they can't ultimately take away our sin, which is why the author of Hebrews says this. In Hebrews 10, we read, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, the animal sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, who's he talking about here? He is talking about Jesus, the great high priest, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. So what did our great high priest do? Did he sacrifice an animal for you so that you can keep sacrificing animals in the future? No, he laid his own life down as your sacrifice. So now completely God's wrath could be satisfied in him. Your sin could be forgiven. You could now receive the favor of God in your life, in your family, in your home, and your prayers are now going to be heard and answered because of this sacrifice. This is a once and for all sacrifice. This isn't an animal. I got to keep doing. I got to keep doing. I got to keep striving. This is a once and for all sacrifice. Jesus, past, present, future, has made the sacrifice so that I can walk in this confidence that I'm talking about this morning. But there's a third observation there's a better garment. 
Rather than the fig leaves we try to wear to get ourselves right with God, there's a better garment we can, we can put on. We read this again in verse 21. It says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Okay? So this raises the question, what in the world do these garments represent that we're talking about this morning? What is this clothing we're talking about? What do these garments represent back in Genesis 3? Friends, it represents this, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I believe this is maybe the most important doctrine in all of Christianity. And yet so few Christians have even heard about the imputation of righteousness. We call this the imputation of righteousness because something happened at the cross that you need to understand. It's something theologians call the great exchange. So when Jesus was hanging on the cross, we talked about this last week, one thing he did was he took your sin. And I even said last week, you need to visualize that. That is something you need to picture in Christ. All your, the collectiveness of your sin, past, present, future, put on Christ where he dies and buries it and pays the price for that sin. That's often what we talk about in the church is what Jesus took from us. But did you also realize Jesus gave you something? He gave you his perfect righteousness. The life that he lived, avoiding sin, when Satan showed up, right? Not being tempted into sin. That matters. Because that perfect life that he lived, fulfilling the law in our place, now gets credited to your account. That's what we mean by the imputation of righteousness. We mean something has been credited to you. Something has been given to you. It means that when God looks upon you, what he sees is the righteousness of Jesus. That's how you get into the wedding feast. And so we have all kinds of texts that show this. I mean, this goes back to the Old Testament. Isaiah 61 prophesied about this day. I delight greatly in the, in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me. What does that say? In a robe of his what? Does it say your righteousness? That's how many of us live our lives. This is his righteousness. Galatians 3.27 says, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have what? Clothed yourselves. You have clothed yourselves with Christ. Romans 13.14 says, Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the garments God has provided for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. That's the taking of our sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of, of God. So I want to talk to you guys just for a moment. With the time we have left, I, I just want to take a moment to talk to you about one of my heroes of the faith. Okay? Um, this is someone who has shaped my life more than anyone else. Okay? Except for, you know, outside of Jesus and those in the Bible. This person has impacted my life more than anyone else. 
And I am talking about Martin Luther, the teachings of Martin Luther. Now, Martin Luther, um, sometimes people wonder, are you talking about Martin Luther King? Uh, just to bring some clarity there, Martin Luther King um, was more of the 20th century, right? Um, but one thing you should know about Martin Luther King, his family loved Martin Luther, hence why they're named after Martin Luther, okay? Um, but what I, who I'm talking about isn't Martin Luther King. I'm talking about um, Martin Luther of, of the 16th century. So we got to go back like 500 years. There was this man named Martin Luther, and um, Martin Luther, uh, he, 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 he was a... We don't know of any sin that he committed or any really bad thing that he did, but he was kind of tortured by a sensitive conscience. And uh, one day he got in, found himself in a storm, and he thought he was going to die in the storm, and he even called out to one of the saints that, if you save me, uh, I will become a monk, <laughs> okay? That was, his, that was his fig leaf. He's trying to, he, was, he was struggling with fear before God, and he was trying to get his life right with God, so surely if I become a monk, God will then love me and receive me and accept me as his own. So he becomes a monk, and he becomes the hardest working monk you can imagine, spending all day, I mean, scrubbing the floors of the monastery, trying to get it shiny clean, so then God will love him, God will accept him. If I just do enough, then I'll have that confidence, and then I'll be safe with God. You've got to keep in mind, this is in the context of when the Catholic Church is the primary church. And at this point in, in church history, the Catholic Church has become very works-based. So it's very much about what you do to get right with God. There are things that you need to do to check off your list if you want to be in good standing with God. So they had all kinds of things that you needed to do, right? And, and, and one of them was, by the way, you could give money to the church. You could actually, at this point, give money to the church, and they would give you a certificate saying it would get you or a relative out of hell. A man named John Tetzel went around uh, raising money and, and, and saying, when, he had this little saying. He said, when a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. And then they would give them a certificate saying so-and-so has been released from purgatory and is now with Jesus. I mean, this is workspace for instance. So if you had enough money, you get into heaven. If you do enough, if you clean enough floors, you get into heaven. Striving, exhausting, and this is where Martin Luther finds himself. The Bible at this time is only translated into Latin. The common person cannot read the Bible for themselves. You have to be very educated. Unfortunately, Luther was educated, and he could read Latin, and so he starts reading the Bible for himself, and he comes to Romans 1, and friends, you got to hear this. He says, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So this is Paul talking to us, opening up the letter of Romans, and he says, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. And I just wonder how many average Christians today, if they sat down and they wrote, read this passage, how they would interpret the righteousness of God here. I'm convinced that what most people would think that this text is saying is talking about your righteousness. It's, it's God has revealed the things that you need to do to be righteous before him. Luther heard this in a completely different way, and I believe it was spirit-led. When Luther read this, he didn't hear this being about our righteousness or anything that we can produce on our own, but this being about the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ that has been provided for us. 
He says, this is what has been revealed through the gospel. And when that dawned on Luther, when he realized for the first time in his life, it's not about my dues. It's not about earning. It's not about working so that then I can have confidence, which never seems to come. It is about simply receiving the righteousness that my Christ has already purchased for me. He said it was like the, the, the window of heaven was open for the first time in his life. Now, Luther's going to begin teaching this. And he's going to have his life threatened. And they're going to um, put him on trial and give him an opportunity to recant, meaning to deny his teachings, or we're going to burn you at a stake, Martin Luther. And so Martin Luther uh, has a night to think about it. And he shows up the next day at trial. And what does he say? He says, here I stand. I can do no other. I can't stop preaching about the righteousness of God given for sinners like me. He would have been burned at the stake. But just before he's actually officially arrested and handed over to be killed, he gets kidnapped. And uh, it turns out who kidnaps him is a friend of his who then puts him into hiding to spare his life. Okay? What's Luther going to do? He has to stay in hiding. He can't do anything. He doesn't have Candy Crush on his phone, right? He doesn't, have, he doesn't have anything to watch on television. So what does he begin doing? He begins translating the Bible out of Latin into German. And it just so happens that by God's providence, a new invention has come on the scene. The Gutenberg printing press made right in Germany. And now Luther's teachings and the Bible that people can read begins to be mass produced. And people begin reading about the righteousness of God given to sinners for themselves. And this group rises up and begins to speak out against the Catholic Church. They begin to become known as the protesters, the protesters, Protestants. It's where the word Protestant comes from. We are the protesters who protested against a works-based religion. And let me just say, I know there's many Catholic churches today that are actually preaching the gospel. But I also know there's still a lot of people growing up in Catholic churches today where they're being taught a works-based system. And I also know there's a lot of people growing up in Baptist churches where they're being taught a works-based system. And I know there's a lot of people growing up in Lutheran churches where they're being taught a works-based system. And Martin Luther would be rolling over his grave. This is something he was willing to be burned at the stake for. The righteousness of Christ given for sinners. Luther said this. He said, the law proves to us that we cannot stand before God in our own righteousness. Friends, it doesn't matter how much you strive. It doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter what you do. You are never going to produce the righteousness you need to come before God with confidence. And so Luther says that's what drives us to the gospel. And I hope some of us today are being driven to the gospel. Okay, because we really have two choices. You really have one of two choices when it comes to this whole how do I get right with God thing. You, you, you can either come over here and, and I, you can even borrow this if you'd like. You can, you can start to try to sow yourself some fig leaves. 
I tried to find the biggest leaves I could find, okay? Um, it, it, if you think that's going to work for you, unfortunately, they weren't all the same size here. Um, I don't know. I'll leave that up to you. This is what so many of us do. I'm going to come over and I'm going to keep, I'm, I don't even know how to use this thing. This is my daughter's. I don't know if they're like a, I don't know. I wouldn't even know how to use this. Here's the good news. I don't need it. What I need to do is remember what I already have. I have the righteousness of Christ purchased for me. And all I need to do is put it on. I look good in this coat. And they're representing the, you know, the sheep furs, the lamb of God. This is what I need. This is my confidence. It is not in myself. It's not in my fig leaves. It is in Jesus. This is why we worship Jesus, friends. That's why we love Jesus. That's why he's the hero of the story. That's why he's our champion. He purchased a righteousness for me I could never earn on my own. Whether good or bad, you're all invited. The question is, do you have the righteousness of Jesus credited to your account? Friends, this is the gospel. I got this coat on. I walk out of here good with God. My worst day here on earth, my biggest failures here on earth, you know what? I get to put this coat on and I still get to come into the presence of God, a child of his. Why? Because I got a better righteousness and it's not based on me. It's based on another who is far better. And God, out of his love for you and me, gave us a righteousness we could never produce on our own. This get anybody excited to worship Jesus? This is what I'm talking about, friends. This is the gospel. So we can read in Hebrews 4, 16. I want to end with this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Don't come in your fig leaves, friends. Put on the righteous garments that God has provided through Jesus, and you can walk in confidence, courage, and freedom. Amen? Amen. Amen. Woo! I get excited talking about the righteousness of Christ. I have to give you one of the hope. All right, let me pray for us. God, help us to remember what we have. I know there's some here today who are struggling, some who are coming in today feeling like failures. I know there's some who feel like, God, I could never be right. You know my thoughts. You know what I've done. You know what, I've, what I'm even planning on doing. And I just want to pray, Lord, that we will just take a moment to remember what has already been provided for us, the righteous garments of Jesus. God, help us to put these on and walk out of here today with confidence before you. And my hope is that if we do that, our, our hearts will swell in love and worship, and we will want to live lives that try to catch up to who you are. But God, we know we're never going to do that perfectly. And so what we're going to do is we're going to put on the righteous garments that Jesus earned on our behalf, and we're going to experience the freedom that comes through Christ. So God, help us to be a church that walks in that. Maybe there's some today who have never received the righteousness 
that comes from Jesus. And maybe today they want to do that exchange. They, all you do is just give Jesus your sin and just say, Jesus, I receive your righteous standing. I, I believe it is mine today. If you just believe that in your hearts, friends, you're in. That's it. That's all we can do. So, Lord, I just pray that <laughs> you won't let us wallow in our failures any longer. But you'll help us to find rest like Martin Luther did in knowing you have provided the sacrifice that we need, the better garments, so that we can come boldly into your presence this morning and say thank you. And that's what we're going to do. So we pray this in your name, Jesus. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right. Well, hey, we're going to get an opportunity now to see some people who have received the righteousness of Christ into their life. We're going to get to experience some baptism. Maybe there's somebody here today. We have extra clothes if anyone wants to get baptized, by the way. And you come back. You can come backstage. We'll baptize you. All right. But understand what they're saying in this baptism. They're showing us a picture of the great exchange that's already happened in their heart. As they go into the water, that's their sin being washed away through the blood of Christ. And as they come out of the water, raised to new life, that's them now being clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. Okay, so let's get excited for those getting baptized. Can we give them a round of applause? Andrew, Hi. this is a great day. I've looked forward to this day for a long time as your dad. I'm going to try not to cry. But Andrew, uh, do you desire to let everyone here know today that Jesus is your Lord and Savior?
Yes. Then upon your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in Christ, and raised to new life. This is Pamela. Pamela, have you made the decision to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, to be your righteousness? Yes. And is it your desire to follow him for the rest of your life? Yes. And Pamela, based on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried with Christ, raised to new life. Anthony, Anthony, have you made Jesus your Lord and Savior? Have you been clothed in his righteousness? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And is it your desire to follow him for the rest of your life? Yep. And based on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ. Raised to new life. <laughs> Jason, have you made Jesus your Lord and Savior? Have you been clothed in his righteousness? Yes. And is it your desire to follow him for the rest of your life? Yes. And based on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried with Christ. Raised to new life. Woo! Woo! 